but we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you remember the last time that I spoke out of this section, we were looking at the subject of false teachers and false teaching. And we examined some of the content of false teaching and the character of the false teachers. The last thing I pointed out was that the false teachers often commercialized Christianity. In other words, they were in it for the money or the prestige or the fame that they could gain. But uh, just to get the flow here, why don't we begin reading with uh, verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There's that idea of commercializing religion. They're going to get some great gain. We know that that's what Paul's speaking about because he goes on and explains this thing of the love of, of, of money. So, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Oh, may the Lord help us to understand and apply this portion of Scripture this morning. You may be seated. So these false teachers were probably charging for their instruction and charging large amounts. Uh, that may be what Paul's referring to. Anyway, we know that uh, they were in it for the money or the fame or influence that they could gain. And that, Paul, that leads Paul to pen some thoughts on the subject of money and contentment, and that's what we want to look at today. It's certainly a subject of great relevance for the 21st century here in America, and especially American Christianity. Much of our society is structured around materialism and covetousness. Advertising is geared to make you discontented. Just, you just don't have enough. You need something else. Uh, if you just had a little more of this or that, then you would be happy or successful or whatever the thing is that they're trying to make you long after. And of course, the idea is that you really deserve this thing. Uh, if you don't have it, it's probably someone else's fault. 
Maybe the government should provide it. Or you can go ahead and put it on your gold or platinum or titanium credit card. <laughs> or you could buy a lottery ticket. So you could win $10 million and get that and a bunch of other stuff that you really have to have. Because you're just not going to be content without more stuff. That's the American way. <clears throat> well, in contrast to all this, there comes the teaching of Christianity, which tells us that true godliness will be accompanied by contentment. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, there should be a level of contentment there in your life that the world doesn't have. The Apostle Paul provides a pattern in his own life for what he's saying here when he says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I have learned to be content. Now, I like that. He's learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I am, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And both of those take grace. If you have abundance, you can uh, trust in that abundance. If you're in need, you can be in despair, wonder what's going to happen, anxiety and worry come in. You need grace in both of those situations. And Paul says, I've learned to be content. And what's, what did he learn? Well, he tells the answer. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what he learned. He learned that Christ is sufficient. Basically, I think he's saying, I've learned to be satisfied with whatever Christ sends my way. I have learned to trust his power and provision in all circumstances. One of the great lies that Satan will tell us in the world and even our own flesh will tell us is that if we just had a little more, then we would be satisfied. But real contentment has to do with an inner attitude, not outward circumstances. As Thomas Brooks said, he who is not content with a little will never be satisfied with much. Now, we don't believe that. We say, oh, if I just had that next thing, then I'd be satisfied. But we find out when we get that next thing, there's something else. He who cannot be, he who is not content with little will never be satisfied with much. And really, Thomas Brooks was just echoing what the scriptures say. Solomon said this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Proverbs 5.10 What it comes down to is this, A covetous person is never a contented person. Covetousness and contentment, they're polar opposites. One person said, the person that loves money, who longs to be rich, is like the person who drinks salt water thinking it'll make their thirst go away. just makes you more thirsty. Well, that's what we want to look at today. And I think there are a number of scriptural truths that if we call them to mind, if God brings them to our mind by his spirit, they will help us avoid covetousness and attain to contentment. So that's what we want to look at, just some scriptures, some thoughts, some truths that will help us avoid covetousness and attain to contentment. 
And as we look at these, may God just renew our minds as we consider some of these basic truths concerning money and contentment. To begin with, what we see here in verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. That's a basic truth. It's found throughout the scriptures. Whether you accumulate a lot or a little in this life, in terms of material things, they will stay here when you leave this life. As the saying goes, you can't take it with you. Now, usually that's said by someone who says, well, let's live it up now. But it is true, you can't take it with you. Job said this thousands of years ago. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. And Solomon again had something to say about this. He said it, he said it this way in speaking of man's life under the sun. He said, As he, that is man, people, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labors that he can carry in his hand. You work with your hands or with your mind all day long, year after year, but you're not going to take anything with you that you can carry in your hand. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. But we know that that's not the whole story. There are some things that you will take with you. Not the material things, not those things you can hold in your hand, but the spiritual things. What you are in your inner man, these things, those type of things you will take with you. Not external things, but internal things. The hidden person of the heart. Not your property, but your personality. What you and I have accumulated through the years in material things, you're not taken with you. But what have you accumulated in the spiritual realm? Have you accumulated faith and hope and love? Because we're told these things abide. They'll continue on. Faith and hope and love. Is that what's there in the inner man? Has that been developed? Has that been accumulating through the years? Those spiritual things will take with us. I think that at death, God will confirm us in the character we truly desired and have sought after in this life. And you think about what that means. God will confirm us in that. Either you've been aiming towards selfishness or aiming towards Christ-likeness. And he'll confirm that when we die. If you don't want to be Christ-like now, you won't want to be that way after you die. We will all receive what we really want and chose, either to love and worship God or to love and worship things and ourselves. Whatever character we've developed, we will take with us. The character we've developed right now. So that's one, one basic truth. 
The next truth that I think can help us in this area of contentment is found in verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. We should seek to be content if we have the things that are really necessary for our basic physical existence. We should not allow the world to squeeze us into its way of thinking about what we need. The desire for meeting the basic needs of the body is not wrong. Jesus taught us that we could pray, give us this day our daily bread. But the yearning for material things beyond these basics is dangerous and can be disastrous. God may and often does give us far more than just those basic necessities. But we need to trust God's provision and providence in this. For most of us in America, contentment is not about having more. It's about desiring less. We need to let God teach us about what we really need, what our our real necessities are, and not go by what others have or by what others say we should have. Let God teach us that. So here are two simple questions for each of us to ask ourselves. Do we have food, clothing, and shelter? Well, looking out over you all, I think we can answer yes. We do have that. So then the next question, are we content? Are you content? This is what Paul says. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now that's, I mean, that's a searching question. Are you really content with what God's provided? The writer of Hebrews says, Let your character be free. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. What do you have? Well, you have God and his promises and provisions. Being content with what you have. For a Christian, being discontented is a slander of God. It's a slander of God because he's promised to never forsake us. And if you're discontented, you're saying he's not keeping up with what he said. How much better to simply trust God and take him at his word that he will take care of us. Realizing that a person's life is not, does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. The fact is things have no real power to bring contentment. Things have no real power to bring life and lasting joy. Jesus said, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, we do need those material things, those basic material things. And and Jesus said, Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But life is so much more than these things. Life has to do with our relationship with God. 
So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All those things you need, God will take care of. Seek first your relationship with him, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, if you have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But he goes on to say, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So the next important truth related to money and contentment is to realize that wanting to get rich leads to destruction. That's what he says, if you follow the flow of thought here. Those who want to get rich, and he ends up, he says, that plunges men into ruin and destruction. One person said it this way, Many a man's gold has lost him his God. Many a man's gold has lost him his God. If you start down the path of seeking riches, you will fall into temptation and snares and foolish and harmful desires, and sooner or later these will plunge you and me, if that's the way we go, into ruin and destruction. Now money is not evil, but it is dangerous and can lead to destruction. First of all, it's dangerous because it's deceitful. Jesus spoke of the deceitfulness of riches, and Paul speaks of wanting to get rich here in this section in this verse, as being a snare, wanting to get rich is a snare. What's he saying? Well, I think he purposely used that that uh, picture or that word because a snare is something not seen. Else, it wouldn't be a very good snare. It's not seen, but it will trap you and hold you. That's what happens with riches. They're deceitful. Money is a deceitful snare because you think you own it, and if you're not careful, it actually owns you. Another quote that uh, bears some meditation is just this. Mammon, which he's talking about riches, Mammon is the largest slaveholder in the world. So money is dangerous because it's deceitful. Money is also dangerous because it gives a false sense of security. It talks about being a temptation, you see. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation. One of those temptations is to have a sense of security in your money. That's a temptation. It causes, or at least it often causes people to say to, them, to themselves, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. This, you see what's happening here? It's just exactly what he says. A snare and many foolish and harmful desires. These foolish, you have the money, so you start 
going after different desires with it. Eat, drink, be merry. But God says to that person, you fool. He says you're foolish. You see it right here in the verse. Foolish and harmful desires. You fool. This very night your soul will be required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself that is not rich toward God. So, the point is, beware of a misplaced confidence in money and acquisitions. I think this is what Proverbs 18.11 teaches us. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high tower in his own imagination in his mind you see I, I've got this money this will protect me this will take care of me it's like a high tower in it, but it's in his imagination it's not, that's not really the way life is <clears throat> a rich man thinks he can trust his riches but the reality is that riches are uncertain in this life and will certainly fail you in the end that's what he says. They'll plunge you into ruin. If you trust in them, they'll plunge you into ruin and destruction. Now, in the previous Proverbs, that was Proverbs 18.11, but in the previous Proverbs, Proverbs 18.10, tells us where our true security really should be and is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. There's where your security is, you see, in Christ, in, in, in trusting God. In fact, <clears throat> this is what uh, Paul brings out a little bit later, later in this letter. In verse 17, he says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. There's where you fix your hope your trust, your security on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So money in itself is not evil, but it is dangerous. And we can say also that although money is not evil, the love of money is evil. The love of money is evil. That's what he brings out here in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Covetousness is one of the great prohibitions of the Ten Commandments, the last one, thou shalt not covet. And in the New Testament we're told that no one who is covetous has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's absolutely for sure if you're covetous, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, beware of every form of greed. It comes in all shapes and manner and it creeps into our lives. Beware of every form of greed. So, money and possessions are not evil in themselves. Actually, it depends on how you got them and what you do with them. People like Job and Abraham and David had riches, there, and those riches were a result of God's blessing upon them. 
And in the New Testament, we see this teaching that God sometimes richly supplies his people with things far beyond their basic necessities, just for their joy. We just read it here at the end of verse 17. Uh, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And we've seen here in past messages in First uh, Timothy that uh, there was this wrong teaching by the Gnostics who believed that the things related to the body were evil. But Paul emphasized that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it was received with gratitude. This means that money and possessions are not evil, but again, the love of money, the selfish accumulation of the things of this life, the things in this life, is evil. Living for those things, setting our heart's affection on those things, being preoccupied with these things, that's the root of all sorts of evil. If you just think about his phrase there, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. How much crime, how many murders, how many wars, how many wrecked homes, how many ruined ministries, how much anxiety and worry can be traced back to the love of money. J.C. Ryle says, Two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels, and lawsuits in the world arise from one simple cause, the love of money. On top of all this, the love of money has caused many a professing Christian to wander away from the, from the faith, piercing themselves with many a pang. That's what he says here. I mean... Longing for these things. They have wandered away from the faith. He's talking about people who say they're Christians. But somehow along the line, they wander away from the faith. You know, some people don't purposely and blatantly turn away from God. But they gradually, inch by inch, wander away from the faith. That, that word wander is interesting in the Greek. It's the, um, the word that we get the word planet from because the ancients, as they looked at the sky, they saw there was, there were some f stars that were fixed in constellations, but there were others that wandered. They called them planets. That's the word that's used here. They wander away from the faith, slowly but surely, Little by little, trust in God is eroded while reliance on riches increases. What happens? In the end, such people find themselves pierced with many a pain as they give themselves to foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. In avoiding covetousness, it's also helpful to remember that the love of money blinds a person to truth, especially the truth of the gospel. You might remember that rich young ruler that came to Jesus, who instead of following Christ, 
went away grieved because he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the point I want to make out of this. It was not the fact that the rich young ruler had riches that kept him from following Christ. It was the fact that the riches had him. And because of that, he could not see the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He had a choice to make, Christ or the riches. He chose the riches because he thought they had greater value. Paul, on the other hand, he, he, you know, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was rising up in the religion. He was going to be a prominent person, but he saw something. He saw the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So I'm saying riches blind you. Riches will blind us to the gospel. And Jesus said this in the parable of the sower. There are some who hear the word, But the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We simply will not see things as we should if money and possessions loom too large in our lives. So I want to give a little illustration to the children here. Talking about money and money blinding us. Now, if I hold the 20 out here, I can see everything pretty well. But if money gets too close to me, if it's too much in my heart, here's what happens. It blinds us. Money blinds us. You have to keep it at a distance. Hold it in your hand loosely. Be willing to be generous. Otherwise, it'll blind you. Well, we've been looking at some scriptural truths that, if we call them the mind, should help us avoid the love of money and to attain contentment. The last thing that I would bring up is that we must continually call to mind that in Christ we have the true riches. If we just remember that, it will make a big difference. We may not be able to buy the most expensive clothes, but so what? We're clothed with the garments of salvation. We're wrapped in the robes of righteousness. Those things, no no money can buy those things that God has clothed us in. We may not be able to buy the most expensive food, but so what? We have food to eat which the world knows nothing of. They've never tasted the bread of life, which if anyone eats of it, they shall live forever. We may not be in the who's who in America, but how much better if our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? We may not have rich and powerful friends in high places, but so what? Our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and we have a friend and advocate on the throne in heaven. 
We may not receive a big inheritance on earth, but so what? Such inheritance, such inheritances will burn up in a few years anyway. But we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. See, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The riches that we have in Christ are unfathomable. We, we have just begun to scratch the surface of what it means to be in Christ and to know Christ. How much is truth worth? Think about it. How much is truth worth? Or wisdom, godly wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Those are the treasures that we have in Christ. And we are on our, on our way to a place where few kings and great men go. Think of the riches of his grace, forgiveness, holiness, deliverance from sin, eternal life. The person that will simply take Christ at his word will find himself rich beyond measure. So, I think we can say what Paul says. Godliness actually is a means of great gain if accompanied by contentment. Great gain. I mean infinitely great gain. Well, we'll take up there next time at verse 11. Paul tells us that instead of chasing after riches, we should pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. One closing thought then. Much of our discontent for what we don't have springs from our lack of thankfulness for what we do have. Just a basic thankfulness. It's Lack of thankfulness is the road to reprobation. Much of our discontent for what we don't have springs from our lack of thankfulness for what we do have. So may God renew our minds in these basic truths that we've considered today.